Good day and welcome to this week's episode of Strictly Legal on WESN Content Capital. I am your host, Rondell Donoa, and I am here once again to bring the law and you. Of course, you know the Olympics has been recently concluded, and of course, one will ask what is sports law. Sports law is a major um, fabric of the legal profession as well as the, um, as, as the legal services. And of course, today we have an attorney at law, Mr. Christoph Braffitt, who will be speaking on us to, to us about sports law and what is its significance. Uh, before I bring out Mr. Braffitt, just a little bit about him. Uh, now, Christoph Braffitt, as, he, as he's called, he holds a Bachelor of, of Science in Sociology from the McMaster University of Hamilton, Canada. And he also holds a, a LLB Honours from the University of London. He holds a Legal Practice Certificate from the College of Law, England and Wales, and a Master's of Law in Sports Law and Practice with Distinction from the Montfort University, Leicestershire, UK. He practices corporate, commercial, intellectual property, entertainment, sports law, and probate. Uh, he's also the corporate secretary and head legal of another network in Trinidad and Tobago, where he provides legal opinion, advice, and counsel to the board of directors. Uh, Christoph is a member of many professional bodies, including the TTFA and FIFA chairman. Uh, he's also the a committee member of the Trinidad and Tobago Pro League, uh, the Trinidad and Tobago Boxing Board of Directors, as well as the executive member of the Trinidad and Tobago Association of Sports and Law. So Christoph is very well um, versed uh, in this area, and I'm, I'm glad once again to have him here. Good morning, Christoph. Good morning, and thank you, viewers. Um, thanks for inviting me, Rondell. It is a pleasure. I know you have a, a long, illustrious line of um, legal luminaries passing through your doors, and I'm glad to be one of them today. And I'm happy for you to be here as, as, as one of the luminaries, Christoph. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Right, so, so of course the topic today is, is sports law and its significance. Now tell us what is, what is really layman's definition of, of sports law. Right, so sports law um, basically is any matters involving um, Olympics or professional athletes. Um, it also touches amateur sports as well as youth sports. Now, um, in the sports industry, it's influenced by a wide range of laws. Um, company law, contract law, antitrust law, which is um, competition law, as uh, so well as trademark and copyright too as well. So it's a very wide range, even employment law too as well. Right. So, so give us, what, um, is there anybody in Trinidad and Tobago that governs a professional sport here? Well, ideally, no. Um, what we have um, and what we, we look at First off is also that the government tries to maintain a non-interventionist approach to, to law. So this means that our, most of the, the authority or the body responsible for sport law and, and sports discipline is actually what we call the, um, the national governing body for that particular sport. So the non-governing body is actually an autonomous body um, which regulates um, sport based upon a voluntary agreement between its members as well as the national governing body. Um, so give us some examples of, of those type of right. bodies. So, that so, for, so for example, um, for example um, in, in, in football, for example, TTFA, um, those who are under TTFA, including the, the coaches, administrators, um, the, 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 the football players themselves, they sign a, a contractual agreement. And based upon this contractual agreement, it means that they recognize the authority as TTFA as a national governing body. Now, as I was saying before, in terms of government intervention, now, government will only intervene if there is some sort of policy consideration. Now, I haven't seen a matter um, or, or an act in Trinidad where the government has actually intervened because of sport. But there is exactly existing law, for example, there is one called the Football Spectating Act 
Act in the UK. Now, this particular act was formed because of an incident called the Hillsborough disaster, yes, which happens in, in 1989, yeah. right? And the government, after that particular incident where a lot of persons died, unfortunately, um, actually devised this particular law called the Football Spectators Act, where um, in, for example, the English Premiership League, as well as the other singular league, that means that all seating accommodation must be provided for all spectators. Because at that point in time, and the Hillsborough disaster, they just had fencing and people standing up and there. So now, with the Football Spectators Act of 1989, um, it is not allowed that you, you must accommodate all seating accommodations within the Because that will also be a li liability. A liability, yeah. Right? Sure. So, so let's discuss the different um, areas of, of sport law. So you mentioned contracts. Yes. Um, now, how are contracts formed between the professional athletes and the, and the body that employs them? What, are the, what, what, what do they look for when, when, um, when, when drafting such contracts? Right. So to start off, um, they don't start from scratch. They use what we call contract boilerplate clauses, just like any other commercial contract. And this will involve basically um, the rules of the national governing body, um, also the terms and conditions um, with the national governing body. They will have um, arbitration clauses, they will have the fee payment clause too as well, and they'll also have the liability clauses too as well. Um, merchandising clauses are some of the things that they look for. Um, also, um, there's also no trade clauses, so that you can't trade me just like that. Um, so so, you, you, so mentioned, you mentioned no trade, but, but therefore you see some people are being traded between clubs. How, right. how does that, right. how does so that function right. in so, a contract? So according to some contracts, and that is a particular clause, so you're allowed to trade um, within the transfer period. So depending on the sport, sports will have... Each sport will have their different rules and regulations in terms of that particular transfer period. So that is allowed. So that is what I'm saying. That is some of the construction of a, of, of a sporting contract, things that they look at. You also look at image rights too as well. Um, you'll have your normal termination clauses too as well. And yeah. And, and how, um, how are the negotiations like to ensure that, that there's a best possible outcome for the athlete as well as the, the body that employs them? Right, because so, so you'll sure like, so you like this one, Ronda. Yeah. So the best particularly is to hire a sports lawyer. Yeah. Right, so your sports lawyer will, will, will be um, knowledgeable in terms of what goes into your particular contract and seek your best interests, especially fee payments too as well. Um, they're also wide enough to embrace also to gender issues in terms of salary caps too as well. Um, it's a very important thing that, um, that the sports lawyer is moving into now to make sure that it's equitable in terms of the male-female sporting um, but, but, that, but, that, but there's still an equity with respect to Oh, yeah, definitely. That. Because definitely. I, I remember reading an article where I think one footballer earned uh, more than, than a team of female footballers. Right. Um, and I think in the UK or in the US, there was a protest with respect to female footballers um, stating that they, they, it is indeed inequitable when it deals with Right, pay. so they're now trying to bridge that gap. But what it is basically too as well... And it goes off into the image right of the particular individual too as well, right? So the image right of that particular, which we don't really have in Trinidad as something that could be a, a legal concept, but it's attached to your brand. It's attached to your image and the commercialization of that particular brand. So you would find that, I mean, um, Christoph's brand on, on, on the football field might be worth a dollar, whereas Rondell's um, might be worth... $10 because, you know, he's, he's, he's more loved, uh, he has more commercial agreements, more sponsorship contracts than Christoph does. So basically, but, but, but he may not have more skill. Well, <laughs> we know that, but still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. really, it's about imaging and about, about how Correct. well, how well, I mean, of course, skill is also a, a yes, skill set yes, is something yeah, as well. Yeah. Now, um, before we continue, let's take a break and we'll be right back. You are watching Strictly Legal on WESN, Content Capital.
and welcome back to Strictly Legal. We are speaking about sports law and its significance with my guest, Mr. Christoph Braffitt. Uh, Christoph, now we spoke about the contract, um, how contracts are formed in the area of sport law. Let's see with personal injury in sports. Um, can, can an athlete bring an action or a legal claim for personal injury from a sporting activity? Yes, they can. Right? So, but, so there is no blanket immunity for civil or criminal um, activities in, 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 in sports, right? Um, so from the civil perspective, um, athletes are owed a duty of care to each other, right, in all circumstances. Um, so, they have not, so they can't um, act recklessly. They can't act negligently. Um, they also cannot, um, well, induce harm to one another while playing a particular sport. However, that's, that's civilly. However, if there's a, a sports dispute um, if, there, if there are sports disputes clauses within that, that particular sport, yeah. right, you can go outside of that and file a civil claim too as well, especially in personal injury. Because if, if you act outside of what the characteristic of the sport is, for example, I'll give you a for example, on, 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 a, on a cricket pitch, you can't run up to someone and, and take a bat and hit them in the head or something like that too as well. But if you bowl them on a certain position or decision, and the cork ball hits them um, by missing, they would call that part of the sporting characteristic, right? Yeah. So, so hitting someone on the bat would not be part of the sporting characteristics, and therefore you can file a, a personal injury claim against but, that person. But, but therefore in football, we see in football, it's, it's a rough sport, right. or even rugby. Well, right. let's so, so, in, in terms of um, men tackling you um, and, and that resolving in an injury, or, and, and obviously, or to, uh, ultimately, a red card, um, how, how do you treat with, with that in terms of, right. in terms so this, of action? So this, right, so that type of action, then, that falls into the criminal context, right? So in a criminal context, we have something what we call the implied sporting consent. Meaning that if you sign up for this particular sport, within the, again, within the characteristic of the sport, you are allowed to do certain things. They also have um, certain except exemptions in terms of that same implied sporting consent, which we call the playing culture. So this exempts you from any criminal liability. However, again... But what about the civil liability, though? Because if I, if I tackle you and I break my foot, uh, or, the, or, or your opponent break your foot, and then he can't play anymore. Right, oh. right. So within that particular sport, there are rules. Yes. If you breach those particular rules, I mean, for example, you belong to FIFA or, or, or the TTFA in terms of a, a national governing body, there are particular rules. So if you go outside of those rules, you can face um, particular claims from within the particular right. organization. So penalties. they can sanction right, penalties, mm -hmm. they, can, they can fine you, they can stop you from playing the sport indefinitely. Those are the, the, the inner sanctions that can happen too as well. The only way it goes outside of that is if it doesn't fit into the characteristic of that particular sport. Right, and, and in, terms of, in terms of the criminal charges in sport, I mean, we have seen um, previously where there was FIFA corruption issues and some things like that. Um, how was it that... Uh, a, 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 a body in terms of a tribunal, like um, for instance in, in Europe, right. uh, how, how do they get involved in FIFA's issues? Right, so like I said before, so this is, this is, this is where the national governing body um, has certain rules and regulations, right? So if you want, if they wish to go outside those rules and regulations, it can happen. It can happen in the administrative court sense. However, Again, and this, is, and this is, could um, be tied into um, this particular um, FIFA case with the Normalization Committee. Yes, right? TTFA. Yeah. And TTFA. Yeah. So, for example, um, I'll use this as a, as a direct example. 
So what the courts will what the courts will look at basically is that they will look at whether the appeals process was properly handled. So if you have a national governing body and you have a set of rules which has a first instance um, a first instance um, judgment and then you have an appeals process, the courts will not really interfere with that. They will only interfere, right, if that particular body or that particular decision crosses over into administrative law. So they'll, they'll apply the administrative law functions, basically look at the, um, at the, at the jurisdiction, right, which was actually the failure of the, the, the TTFA and the, and, the, and the FIFA normalization committee matter. They look at jurisdiction where it's supposed to be brought because in that instance, um, the, rules, um, the rules of the TTFA were had in it an arbitration clause, which means the arbitration clause that if you bring a dispute and you pass the appeals process, then it goes to CAS. CAS is the Court of Arbitration of Sport. So they are the head or head body in terms uh, of sports and results in dispute. And where they are located? They are located in Switzerland. Okay. They are located in Switzerland, right? So if you, if, you, if you have that particular rule in your particular regulations, then that is where it goes. So the court would not interfere with that, mm -hmm. right? Now, in terms of that, the, the, the high court, but the high court, the high court actually made a ruling upon the decision, which was sort of erroneous, and that's why it went up to the court, court of, of appeal. appeal. Yes, that's right. And the court of appeal said, "Look, this is not the place to bring it because, according to FIFA statutes, as the head governing body, CAS is supposed to be where the where any disputes to go, as well as TTFA had in within their rules to that." Um, that they would succumb to, to, to the FIFA statutes. But therefore, local courts, I mean, in your local jurisdiction, you can't bring an, an injunction claim. Of, or, right. Uh, so it depends on the relief that you're, that you're yeah. looking for to as yeah. well. So, for example, in the, um, in the TTT gymnast um, case where TTGF yes. versus Tima Williams, yes. that was brought into to, to court under Justice Frank Cipersad, right? And he looked at, he looked at that particular um, decision. It was, he, that it was torturous. It was for breach of contract. So anytime you have something about like a breach of contract, then it could be tried in civil courts, right? Like again, but it depends on it's the jurisdiction, relief, jurisdiction mm, the relief release, that you're looking yes. for, and the type of claim that you want to bring. So there were a lot of, um, as I said before, remember in the beginning, I said there were a lot of laws that sport industry crossed. So in that Tamer Williams case, there was enough law on the side of, um, in, in civil jurisdiction, to, to, to bring up particular kill. Especially in terms of like the legitimate expectation Correct. Um, to represent your country. Um, Conspiracy, in, in, mm -hmm. fiduciary duty, those different... And those things a, a body or the, or the TNT Gymnastic Association cannot preside over because they don't have the legal jurisdiction to preside over such matters. Correct. And especially, like again, 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 we spoke about the NGB's rules and statutes. Now, they have a lot of dispute resolution measures, right? And they have, and in particular, they make sure that they have arbitration clauses in there. And so that arbitration clause means that oh, if you decide to go to a, a court, the high court or something like that, you could then apply for a stay of those particular proceedings because you have a bona fide arbitration clause, um, which actually um, is defined under our arbitration, arbitration act. act. And I think I think we, we need to take a break and we will discuss more about arbitration um, when we come back. You are watching Strictly Legal Sports and its Significance. We'll be right back. And we are back. 
And before the break, Christoph, we were speaking about arbitration and an arbitration clause to use to resolve disputes. Tell us why there's a need for arbitration in sport disputes. Right. Because of the speciality of sport, meaning the uniqueness of sport, um, a lot of social relations and stuff like that too as well, there's a need to um, actually look at a process which is best suited between the parties. For example, the relationship that exists in sport may not exist in a commercial setting. There are other, other factors. You have to go back on the field to play with this particular person. You have to rely upon the sporting governing body or the national governing body to pay your fees. So, they, so arbitration is, is, is a better means to handle, especially it's very, very costly when you go into civil court, as you know, yes. and I would like to, um, to, um, to handle disputes. And, so, and, you, and you are an arbitrator as well? Yes, I was an so, arbitrator. So tell us so about I that. Um, I mean, you, well, you I can't really speak exactly on, on, on the matter no, the facts, arbitrator, but, of but in terms of the facts, but mm -hmm. in terms, um, I handle a, a particular case with a, a well-known um, French table tennis athlete, um, and that particular, that particular case revolved around certain irregularities mm -hmm. in, 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 yeah. in decision-making process. So um, there were three arbitrators, um, all, all local, and we were able to, to, to have a conclusion. And basically, these particular arbitration um, agreements um, are binding and enforceable, just as a court order is. So um, charges could be, um, I mean, garnishing charges could be made too mm -hmm. as well, and um, injunctions could be made too as well. So they're just as enforceable as any court order. And of course, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a calmer setting when you deal with arbitration, because you're in a room, um, it's just you and the parties trying to trash out in terms of another way of alternative dispute correct, resolution. Correct, correct. So it's not only just points of law that you're discussing. There are other things that may revolve and may, um, the parties may want to come together on that a court would not allow, be allowed in their terms of jurisdiction in terms of powers to bring to make happen. Yes, yes yeah. indeed. So um, let's move to doping laws. We have seen a lot of a lot of um, instances where doping has resulted in disqualification of athletes, especially um, just recently in the Olympic Games. Um, we've seen where a, a, a runner in the an athlete in the U.S. Um, she would have been disqualified prior to, to um, the Olympics because she would have been smoking marijuana right. um, found in her system. Do we have doping laws locally? Yes, we do. Um, so we have the Anti-Doping Sport Act of 2013. And this in Trinidad and Tobago. Yes. yes, right. So this particular act is based upon what we call the UNESCO um, Convention of Anti-Doping. So, and it's also buttressed by um, a Trinidad and Tobago um, Anti-Doping Committee. As well as okay. the yeah anti-doping committee, as well as also we have our appeals committee too as well, right? It is also um, backed by the global platform, which is the which is WADA, which is the World Anti-Doping Organization too as well. So what it does is it encourages an anti-doping environment, and obviously it persuades individuals to practice. Um, non-doping activities and non-doping methods too as well. And how yeah. can that affect one's career in terms of, in terms of sport? Right, so in, in terms of, of, of law, not um, in terms of law, yes, in terms of law, basically um, most athletes have a lot of sponsorship contracts too as well, so it can affect your sponsorship contract because in these particular sponsorship contracts, there are anti-doping clauses. So if you breach, um, breach these particular contracts, you can lose your, your, sport, your endorsement or your um, sponsorship contract too as well. And let's talk about um, image, image rights of an athlete. Um, right. 
I know you have mentioned it previously, but what, what are image rights um, in terms of in, in Right, terms so of law? image rights in, in terms of, of sport is where the individual is able to, to attach himself to a, a commercial um, product, his brand, you know, whether it, whether it be running, um, whether it be, and, 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 and sponsors will then use that particular image to, to boost their products. And, and um, I'm sure in Trinidad and Tobago, we have a lot of uh, image rights or, or sponsorship agreements yes. with yes. many athletes. Yes, correct. So there are a lot of endorsement and sponsorship um, agreements with a, a lot of um, athletes in Trinidad. I'm glad that our, um, our culture in Trinidad and our commercial culture uh, understands that particular thing. And, and I would like to see more of that too as well. A lot more um, local endorsement contracts of our athletes. But is it dependent? Um, are there clauses or... or, or are these clauses valid in terms of um, if, let's say, for instance, you don't win a goal in the Olympics and you come back home, would that mean that you're, you will have breached a contract? No, <laughs> I mean, no, I, no, 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 no. I, I know it's very cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, the the country, the sporting, the sponsorship contract, the endorsement contract. Remember, the the, the company sees the athlete as, as bringing value to their, their to their business. Right, so I don't think we'll have any draconian terms such as, such like that, but there may be performance terms because performance is directly related to your value, right? So I mean, if you're not performing, then nobody's going to come out there to watch you. So if you if you keep coming last, Rondell, no one's going to put their money or their company behind you because you keep coming last. No, no, as you mentioned last, um, we've recently concluded Olympics. We've mm -hmm. we've had a few um, of our athletes. Uh, in involved uh, in the Olympics and, and became, became a medalist. Right. Um, how does that affect um, sponsorship? How does that affect things moving forward in terms of the Olympic body? Are they, um, are they governed by, uh, by statute or anything like that in Toronto Tobago, the TTOC? Um, not ex no, not exactly. And, and in your first question, it, it should not affect because, I mean, like I said before, this is the Olympics. We're talking about Olympians. Yes. Right? So this is a different category of athlete in itself. Right? So I think the value there is still intact. You know? In terms of, of, of not meddling, I mean, these are top of the world. We're still, in my mind, we're still serving that particular value because you come in 20th in the world or 10th in the world, even though you may come, come there last. That's, that's out of the world. Mm. And, and of course, we, we still need to encourage our athletes and be proud of, of them course, regardless of. of, of course, and of, of course, course, not not put them down like, like no. certain headlines we see in, in, right. in, in, the, in, the, in the media of recent um, yes. Big Fat Zero, yes. which, which, is, which, which could be very daunting yeah. and yeah. demotivating as well because they work really hard. Yeah. So, so tell us, where, where, do, where, do, where does sports law go in the future? Um, because I know it's, I mean, it's quite a large area in other jurisdictions, but in terms of Trinidad and Tobago, do people actually um, retain sports lawyers um, to, to oversee contracts or negotiations, um, endorsements, etc.? Yes, they do, actually. Um, so I have, I have, I have sev several clients, and, and the thing about it is that sports law moving forward in, in Trinidad is going to be actually a very, very good niche to get into as well for up-and-coming lawyers too there as well. Of, there are because few, we are, there are few yeah. lawyers. Well, exactly. I mean, I, believe, I belong to a, a society of, of, of lawyers, Trinidad and Tobago, um, 
Lawyers Association, yes. you know, and, and Sports Law Association, sorry. And so we, we are now embarking about um, educating people about what sports law is, because like I said before, it's a very um, noteworthy career too that, that people can advance to as well. It has a lot of commercial opportunity too as well, and it's very, very vast. You know, um, we, we could talk about sporting agents, we could talk about coaches, we could talk about administri administrators, you know, and we could talk about image rights, we could talk about endorsements. No, no, you mentioned mm. sporting agents. Um, who are sporting agents and, and, and what do they do? Right. So sporting agents, most, some, some sporting agents are attorneys by trade, and that is a really a good handle because they will okay. know exactly what in terms of the legal rights of a sport or athlete would need to be progressive as well as to safeguard their interests. Yes. Right? So sport, so sporting agents, therefore, um, um, I would call them sport lawyers or sports attorneys. Um, most are, the some that aren't, that is because of experience, because they know the particular processes and procedures of how to make a deal. So basically, sporting agents are the ones who want to make the deal and look after the best interests of, of the athlete. And of course, as you said, there are, there are, few, there are few in Trinidad and Tobago. Yes, there um, And um, I know you failed to mention that there's a Trinidad and Tobago lawyers. I think it's a football team. Oh, yes, yes, team yes, that yes. you all went to. Um, they actually have a World Cup. That's um, correct. I, I know there's a cricket many team people, as well. Yeah, but many people don't know that there's, there's, yes. there's a lawyer world, um, football World Cup. T -t Tell us about that. Right. So, <laughs> so I guess... <laughs> My, my teammates must be laughing at me. Yes, because I'm, I belong to the team, yes, so we travel yeah, yeah. to Spain and Panama yeah. to take part into the Lawyers World Cup on vacation. Yes, on vacation, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, obviously we we we, we, com we competed. I mean, we couldn't we couldn't make the grade, but obviously it was quite an experience in itself um, because you're you're playing teams against Brazil, South Korea, Argentina, and they're you know, all lawyers. And they're all lawyers. So there are about three thousand different participants in this particular. Um, um, World Cup of, of lawyers, if you want to call it that. Wow, and how yeah. often uh, um, is this World Cup? Um, pre how often it's, is, is, it's, is it? It's World every Cup two premier? years. Every two years. Yeah. Uh, but of course, uh, because of COVID. Yes. Uh, obviously, we yes. We, we, yeah, we wouldn't have it. So, so where the next World Cup will be? I'm not sure. I think it's back in Spain. Okay. I believe it's, yeah, the last year it was back in Spain. Yeah. So we're now mobilizing a master's team this time. Oh, a master's <laughs> team. <laughs> well, I do hope that you all really um, uh, succeed yes. this time. Yes. You know, I mean, I've, I've followed you all as well, and I, I know you all usually have cops in Trinidad as well. Yes, men, we Men like, um, I think it's John Heath and... and correct, correct, <laughs> and, correct. And Busby and well, all yes, of them. George Busby, yes, yes, yes. Are, yes. are very much involved. Um, any yes. closing statements from you, um, Christoph? Uh, my closing statement actually would, would be Olympic oriented. I am so proud of all the athletes that have participated on behalf of Trinidad and Tobago. And I mean, we know that we have a lot of work to do. Um, it's a process, and that process should involve stakeholder conversation and consultation for us to move forward. Yes, indeed. And of course, I mean, we can't wait until two years before 20, the next Olympics. No, we um, can't. We, we have a lot of work now. to do. We have a lot of um, games in between, yeah. um, world championships. And, you know, we just wish our athletes luck. And, of course, with lawyers like yourself and others, sure. uh, we'll be able to steer them in the right direction. So, Christoph, Thank you for having me. Thank you so much again for having us. And I hope that, um, that you have imparted certain knowledge to persons who will be watching because, I mean, sports law is an area that, we, that is not spoken about. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Right. Thank you, guys. It's a wrap. You have been watching Strictly Legal on WESN Content Capital with my guest, Christoph Braffitt. Do have a safe week ahead. Good day.